0: Good morning, morning, the power's on, so last time I was here, uh, we weren't so lucky. Uh, given the passage of, of the week, I asked Taylor if we could sing Them Bones, Them Bones, Them Dry Bones at the end of the service, but he said no, so maybe next time. As you know, we're in um, Ezekiel 37 today, so I'll give you a second to uh, turn or scroll there. And if you know, we're in um, a series on the Holy Spirit. And a few weeks ago, we were introduced to the Spirit in Genesis chapter one and two, right? And the Spirit then was a creating Spirit. You know, it was uh, God and the Spirit was hovering over the, the surface of the waters, and it was through the Spirit that God created. There was chaos. And through the Spirit, there was order, there was no life, and through the Spirit, there was life. And so um, before we dive into Ezekiel 37, what I want to do is I want to kind of get a, a lay of the land, so to speak, uh, of Ezekiel in, in particular, but also of kind of like how Ezekiel, why is Ezekiel a prophet? Like what are we, why, what are we who are we reading, right? And it's kind of like skydiving, I think. I've never been skydiving, but I've always wanted to go. Maybe. I feel like if somebody actually offered me to go skydiving, and they're like, hey, we're going, I'd be like, "Mm, no, not today. But anyway, it's kind of like skydiving, where you're up in this plane, and you see like miles and miles and miles of land, and then you jump out, and slowly you kind of like zoom in, and eventually you see like acres, and then you see like a patch of grass, and then by the time you land, you can see individual blades of grass that you couldn't see if you were at the top of the plane. So that's what what we're going to do. We're going to go skydiving and land in Ezekiel 37. But before we do that, I know we just prayed, but um, I believe and we believe that the Spirit is actually the best teacher of the Scriptures. So I wanna pray one more time and ask him to bless our time and bless his word together. So would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your life-giving word and your life-giving spirit. I ask now, Father, that you would do miracles in every single one of our minds and hearts, that as we hear words spoken, um, you would create them and turn them into words lived out, and you would give us life um, that you promise and life everlasting. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name by the power of the Spirit. Amen. So, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we were introduced to in Genesis to the Holy Spirit who created, right? And and um, in Genesis two in particular, God created a kind of a dust pile, right? He created from the dust a human. And then it says that he breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living being. So that's what the this, this Spirit did. And, and the purpose of that, the purpose of Genesis 1 and 2, is to have God with his people in his place. God, the creator, the loving, life-giving creator, wants to create his people, humanity, all of humanity, and they want to be, he wants to be in his place together, the Garden of Eden, paradise, Good relationships, and he says, "Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. You know, make cities, make art, make sport, make families. Like, go for it, basically." And it was through the spirit that they were given life, and we know. uh, You turn the page in Genesis three; it didn't go so well. Right, man decided that they knew what was best, and they knew what was wise for their in their own eyes, and that relationship was was broken. So it was no longer God with His people in His. Place And then you fast forward, and eventually you get to this guy named Abraham. God's like, all right, Abraham, we're going to start over with you and your family, Israel. We're going to use you to bring that blessing to all the nations so that it can be God with his people in his place. And they become the nation of Israel. Fast forward to the end of Exodus, beginning of Exodus, actually. They get enslaved by Egypt, and Egypt just has this heavy hand on them. And so this guy Moses... He's appointed, and the spirit of the Lord rests on Moses, and Moses leads Israel out of Egypt, right, with the 10 plagues and, you know, the animated movie, Prince of Egypt, Let My People Go, great movie, grew up watching it. Great soundtrack, too, by the way. Um, So he says, let my people go, and they they go through the Red Sea, and it's awesome, and then, then they're in the wilderness for a while. And right before they cross over the Jordan River to go into the promised land, for them to be god and his people in his place, Moses kind of stops them right before he sends Joshua in, because if you remember, Moses can't go in, that's another story, but Moses kind of stops them, and he repeats the law, and this is the book of Deuteronomy, which actually means second law. Moses stands there, and he repeats the law, and he says, remember what the Lord your God did. Remember how the Lord your God lovingly brought you out of Egypt. Remember to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then in Deuteronomy 28, he presents two options, Moses does, he presents two ways of living. The first is called covenant blessings, which is basically Moses says in Deuteronomy 28, if you keep your end of the bargain, if you keep the covenant, if you keep the laws, the statutes, the commandments, if you love the Lord your God first, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll be blessed. Your families will be blessed, the land will be blessed, your kids will be blessed, the cattle will be blessed, which apparently was a big deal then. The other nations that bless you, I'm gonna bless them. If another nation curses you, I'm gonna curse them. Covenant blessings. That's one way of life, Moses says. The other way of life, the alternative, is called covenant curses. And Moses basically said, if you don't do these things, if you turn to other gods, if you don't love the Lord your God with all of your everything... If you don't love your neighbor as yourself, then you will be cursed. Your land will be cursed. Your children will be cursed. um, Your bodies won't get proper burial. And eventually, another nation is gonna come in and they're gonna take you away and they're gonna scatter you. So it's not gonna be God with his people in his place. You guys are gonna be scattered all over the world. No sense of national security, no sense of national pride. And so you fast forward. Joshua goes into the promised land Beats all the bad guys, and then the covenant blessing or covenant curses, good or bad, right? Bad. Judges, everyone decided to do what was right in their own eyes. The kings, the book of the kings, this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. This king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This king did evil, and over and over and over again, Israel chose this way of life. The way of life that was not loving God first and not loving their neighbor as themselves. And so what happened? Moses in Deuteronomy 28 was right. They became cursed. This nation Babylon came in, God rose up the nation of Babylon, came in, and they took Jerusalem, they took everybody, and they scattered them among the nations. So now they're everywhere, right? They didn't destroy the city yet, but they scattered them. And here's where I'm going with this. In that group of exiles was this guy named Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was supposed to be a priest, which means he was supposed to be, you know, the guy who, like, was in the temple and doing the sacrifices and wearing all the weird, like, dresses and stuff. But instead, he is now in Babylon, and God decided to make him a prophet. So he's a prophet, but he's not in Israel. There are some prophets, and they're, like, in Israel, and they're, like, saying, hey, you guys are doing bad stuff. Ezekiel is actually in Babylon prophesying and speaking to Israelites that are in exile, basically in, like, a bunch of refugee camps, and so the book of Ezekiel has two parts. The first part, I actually have a diagram up here. Nice. The first part, chapter one to 32, is judgment. And this is where Ezekiel, for some reason, the Israelites still were like, you know what? We're actually not that bad. We still have our city and our temple, so we could just, like, we might just go back later and we can worship these other gods. We can do all this. And Ezekiel is like, no. You guys are still, the judgment is still coming. This is your guys' fault. The reason that you're here in the first place is your fault, and the worst is yet to come. This is the first 32 chapters of Ezekiel, very dark. Then, chapter 33, you realize, oh, Ezekiel was right, because what happens in chapter 33, Babylon goes in and they crush the city. The city is wiped out, and more importantly, they crush the temple of God. They destroy it. One scholar says this would be worse than Pearl Harbor and 9-11 combined for a nation. The temple was the dwelling place of God. It was what protected Israel. This was their only sense of national identity as the people of God. And then all of a sudden Babylon wipes it out and they're thinking, who, who are we? What now? Who, we can't do anything. And so the last half of Ezekiel chapters 34 to 48, is a message of hope. And this is where Ezekiel says, everything seems hopeless, and yes, this is your fault, but there is hope. Hope that the enemies will finally one day be defeated. Hope that in the midst of death, there can be brought about life. Hope that God will finally one day be with his people in his place. There's like new Eden imagery, new creation imagery, all this stuff. And it's in the midst of that, section that we get to Ezekiel 37. So there, we landed from the the plane. Ezekiel 37, let's let's walk through this. It's actually referred to a few times as the gospel of Ezekiel, and we're gonna see why here. Uh, Look down at verse number one, and let's walk through and talk through this together. Ezekiel 37 says this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, which is just another way to say that God is going to show him a vision. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So here we see the spirit of the Lord taking Ezekiel, whether by, you know, trance or actually like physically taking him to a valley. We see the spirit of the Lord taking him somewhere and showing him this this kind of graveyard, so to speak. Now, if you remember, I mentioned earlier, Ezekiel was a priest, or he was going to be a priest. And one thing, priests were not allowed to touch anything dead, especially a body. A dead body was the most unclean thing that you could touch as a priest. So not only is Ezekiel, like, seeing dead bones, it says the spirit led him around among them, so he doesn't just say, like, hey, look at this. Like, he's, Ezekiel is, like, in it. He is walking through it. He is being taken through it. So this is horrifying for Ezekiel. Second, it says that there were very many of them. The Bible doesn't exaggerate a lot, doesn't use a lot of detail. So when it does, you know that it's very important. These bones stretch as far as the eye can see on the surface of the valley. Now, why does Ezekiel say surface of the valley? this means that these bones were not buried. And burial is kind of important in our culture, but we also have you know cremation and you can donate your body to like, scientific research and stuff like that, and that's great. But in this culture, burial was the thing that had to happen. Like it was the, the, like, the most important thing for your family to do after you passed was to bury your bones, to take care of them. So the fact that there are bones spread out doesn't just mean that they don't have a family that takes care of them. This is actually like, like an indictment against them. But even more than that, this and this culture, if your bones weren't buried, you were cursed. If two families or two kings had a treaty with each other and one king broke it, the other king had the right to go in, kill his family, and scatter his bones. And that means that you were cursed. That means somebody didn't hold up their end of the bargain, and like they are, they're done for. I don't want to go near those. I don't want to touch those. That's why it was so unclean for priests to touch bones. So there's a lot of them. They're on the surface of the valley, which means that they didn't have a proper burial, which means that they were on the receiving end of a judgment. And it says that they were very dry. Behold, they were very dry, right? That means they've been out there for a while. The sun has bleached them. The insects, the birds, the animals, they've gotten their filling of these bones. I mean, this is not only the deadest of dead you can be, this is the most um, egregious and cursed you can be. And the Spirit just takes Ezekiel and says, Here you go. Then what happens? Verse three And he, the Lord, said to me, Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? I, the first time I read this, I thought it was a joke, like you're like waiting for a punchline or something. No, just me? Okay, cool. Um, you guys are way better than me. I, you, you just told me, this, this is, if I was Ezekiel, this is what I would say. You just told me that there's a ton of bones, thousands, maybe even millions, who knows. You just told me that they're on the surface of the valley, which means that they're cursed, and you just told me that they're very dry. There's not a lick of life in them. Can these bones live? Of course they can't live. And what does Ezekiel th- say? Thankfully, I'm not Ezekiel. And he says, what did he say? Ah, and I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Kind of noncommittal. He's not gonna say no. He's not gonna say yes. He's not gonna deny the power of God's resurrection because the other 33 chapters he's seen a lot. But he's also like, man, this, this is just the worst case scenario that you could possibly show me. So, oh, Lord God, you know. Smart. Verse 5, then he, the Lord, said to me, prophesy over these bones. It's one thing to prophesy to a person who's not going to listen to you, which is what happened in the first half of Ezekiel. The Lord said, hey, you're going to prophesy, but nobody's going to listen to you. They're going to be stubborn. They're going to be stiff-necked. They're going to be hard-headed. They're not going to listen to you. It's one thing to prophesy to those types of people. It's another thing to prophesy to dead, inanimate objects that don't have ears, you know, like the Lord is asking Ezekiel to prophesy to bones. Tidbit, in the Bible, nobody ever prophesies to bones. They always prophesy it to people. So now he says, Prophesy over these bones and say to these bones, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, verse 5 To these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you. I will cause flesh to come upon you. I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel is to look over this valley of these cursed dead dry bones and he's to say, you're gonna live. Does he do it? Verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone, just like the Lord had said. And I looked, verse eight, and behold, there were sinews on them, just like the Lord had said. And flesh had come upon them, just like the Lord had said. And skin had covered them, just like the Lord had said. But there was no breath in them. So now Ezekiel is looking at a bunch of dead Like lifeless, breathingless corpses almost. God had taken what was there, the bones, whether by wind or by a spirit or by all the above, and he had formed together bodies, but they're just there. They're not yet alive. There's no breath in them. So now what's gonna happen? Let's keep reading. Then he said to me, prophesy, verse nine, to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Okay, this is where it gets good, if it hasn't been already. In uh, English, there are some words we have that depending on the context in which you use them, they can mean different things, right? Surprisingly, the word green has a lot of different definitions. So if I'm like, you know, teaching a kindergarten class and I'm talking about colors, I mean green as in the color green. But if I'm golfing and I'm aiming at the green, I'm talking about like the patch of grass. If I'm on a boat and I say, oh, he just got green in the face, He's sick. If I have a green thumb, it means I'm a gardener. A green house, right? If I throw a water bottle in the recycle and I say, go green, you know, I mean, I'm trying to be environmentally conscious. And So like the word green, green means go, green means money. Like there's multiple definitions for the word green. It's actually kind of surprising. Hebrew operates the same way. This is the language that the Old Testament is written in. And we, you might have remembered uh, from Todd a few weeks ago, we learned that there's one Hebrew word for three English words. And the one Hebrew word is ruach. Don't try to say it. You might spit on the person in front of you. You kind of have to clear your throat. R-U-A-C-H, ruach. And that one Hebrew word, depending on the context, means one of three different things. It means breath. So like the human thing that humans do to live. That's a bad way to describe that. Breath, Uh, it it can mean wind like the natural thing that tree, you know, when it goes through the trees and you can see trees bend and you can see flags wave in the wind. And it can also mean spirit, whether a personal spirit or more often the Lord's spirit, the presence and power of God. Ezekiel 37 is one of the only places in scripture where Ezekiel is intentionally ambiguous with this word. And it's kind of like a Venn diagram where sometimes he means just breath and wind and not spirit. Sometimes he means spirit and breath, but not wind. And sometimes he means one of them, and sometimes he means all three of them. So, with that, let's go back to verse nine and read that in it. Then he said to me, "Prophesy to the breath, okay? Prophesy, I say to the breath: Thus does the Lord come from the four breaths, O breath, and breathe on these slain. So I prophesied, and the breath came into them. Let's read it again." Then he said to me, prophesy to the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O wind, and breathe on these slain. So I prophesied, and the wind came into them, and they lived. Let's try it again. Then he said to me, prophesy to the spirit. Interesting. The spirit of the Lord? Prophesy, son of man, and say to that spirit, thus says the Lord God, come from the four spirits, O spirit, and breathe on these slain. So I prophesied, and the spirit came into them, and they lived. The whole scene is permeated by all three uses, the natural, wind, the human, breath, the spirit, God, and the result of it, whether it's, Whatever the definition is, the result of it is that there was once death, but now life. The spirit took what was dead, the wind took what was dead. Was it wind? Maybe, because there was a rattling and the wind could have made a gust and the bones were rattling together. Was it breath? Probably, because before they were not breathing and now they are breathing. And was it the spirit? Absolutely, because it's the life-giving presence of God that took what was dead, breathed into it, and now life. And this image has to remind us of another passage of scripture, where there was a corpse and God breathed and then there was life, right? Genesis 2, verse seven. We were talking about this earlier. Genesis 2, verse seven. The Lord God formed a man, a a human, out of the dust of the ground. He took what was there. He formed the human out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into him the breath of life, and he became alive. Ezekiel 37. The spirit, God, took what was there, bones, made them into bodies, and then breathed into him, into them the breath of life, and now they're alive. What's Genesis two? Creation. It's creation for God to be with his people in his place, for the relationship to be perfect, for it to be paradise. What's Ezekiel 37? Creation, but it's a different kind of creation because there were once alive people that had to die. And we know that they died because they didn't hold up some end of the bargain and were wrong. And so now there are dead bones. And so now the spirit of life is not just creating, but rather he is recreating. He is resurrecting. He is making new humans out of things that used to be humans, but because of their sin, you could say, died. So now there's a whole army standing in front of Ezekiel, an exceedingly great army. And who are these people? Let's go back to verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Our temple is destroyed. Our city is destroyed. We are scattered and exiles and refugees in a country we don't speak the language of, we don't know the culture of, we don't know the gods of. We have no God because he left in Ezekiel 11. The glory of God left the temple, went to Babylon. What's happening there? We have no hope. These bones are the house of Israel because they did not uphold the covenant with God. They did not love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They did not love each other as themselves, but rather, they partook of idolatrous things. The second Moses came down from the mountain, they had a golden calf that they were worshiping. And they say, now our, hope is dry. our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. And what does uh, the Lord say to Ezekiel? Therefore prophesy and say to them, So at first he prophesied to bones, then he prophesied to breath, and now he's prophesying to the nation of Israel. And he says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves, but not to open them to steal anything or to open them to add more bodies to them. I will open your graves. I will raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. What does this sound like? God with his people in his place, new creation, new life, new resurrection. Verse 13, and you shall know that I am Yahweh when I open your graves and raise you from your graves and I will put my spirit within you and you will live. I will place you in your own land and you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. God says I will put my spirit This is unequivocally, uh, unconfusingly God's personal spirit. Israel had messed up over and over and over and over again. They have sinned over and over and over and over again. And yet, because of God's steadfast love, Because the Lord is rich in mercy, he will not abandon his promise to his people even though they abandon him. And rather, he says, I am going to give you new life. I am going to put my own personal life breath in you. Does this sound familiar? The same God who was true to his promises to Israel, even though they abandoned him, even though they were cursed, came down as a human. The spirit rested on the human, the baptism of Jesus. The spirit came down as a dove, rested on him. And that presence of God, John says it was the tabernacle of God, Jesus in his body was the presence of God. That presence of God walked to the Valley of Bones, to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Not just for Israel's behalf, but for humanity's behalf. And as he was crucified and became a curse, cursed it is anyone who hangs on a tree, he became a curse and he became sin for us. He gave up his spirit. And he died. So now he's in the place where Israel was. Our hope is, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost. But death did not have the final word. But on the third day, that spirit entered back into his body. The breath entered back into his lungs. And when he ascended, he said, I'm going to send you my spirit. I'm going to send you my life. Ephesians says that we were what in our trespasses and sins? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked in them. We cursed God's name. We do not love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We do not love our neighbor as ourselves. We are no better off than Israel. And yet because of Jesus' work on the cross and because of him giving us his own self, He gave us his own self, both in his physical body on the cross, yes, but also his spirit. And now because of that, we are no longer dead. There's been a rattling, there's been a sound, there's been a movement, and now we are alive together with Christ. This is our reality. This is our reality right now. For though you were once dead, in Christ you have been made alive But also, and I think more importantly, this will be our reality. Because the wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual and the spirit has resurrected our lives if indeed we are in the spirit, right? This is why Paul says that if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And that's why he says in 2 Corinthians, if you're in Christ and in his spirit, new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is our spiritual reality now, yes, but this will be our physical and spiritual reality after death death does not have the final word yes we will all die but it does not have the final word we like christ will pass through death and rise from the dead in the resurrection this is why it says over and over and over again christ is coming again whatever that looks like the day of the lord uh, however you view that the the bottom line is the dead will be raised anew and god the loving Life giving, selfless God who loves us and gives us the Spirit will be with his people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will bow and they will be in his place with God forever. The new creation. The new resurrection, the new life, the temp- Ezekiel calls it the temple of the Lord. Revelation calls it the mountain of God. It, it, the Garden of Eden. And, and Genesis calls it the Garden of God. The city of God. We will be with God, and His Spirit will be giving everybody life. And so, how do we know that we have this? How do we know that we have this power now? And I, I want to be clear. It's not like this. <clears throat> Like, mystical, like, you know, all of a sudden you guys are going to, like, start glowing or something. That'd be kind of cool, though. Um, How do we know we have this power now? Paul, what does Paul say in Galatians? He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. How do we know we have this resurrection power? We're able to love others when we have no reason to love them. We're able to have joy amidst the darkest days. We're able to have peace and assurance amidst a world that is falling apart. We're able to be patient with each other when we shouldn't be. And everybody else would be like, why are you patient with them? Like the fruits of the spirit, this is our resurrection power currently. But even more importantly, death will not have the final word. I love that last verse. I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. He has spoken, he will do it. He already did it in the work of Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, and he will do it again when he comes back and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? And so I don't know where each of you are today, uh, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, I don't know what you guys brought into your hearts and your minds. Maybe some of you guys are, fe- you, you are seeing the life-giving power of the spirit that also raised Jesus from the dead. You're, you're seeing that in, in your lives. You're seeing that in the lives of others. Praise God. Some of you, though, might not be seeing it and haven't seen it for a while and are defeated and discouraged I don't know where everybody is, but what I do know is that the spirit of God brings life to the most hopeless situations. The spirit of God brings life to death. He can take what is as good as dead what is already a dead, what is cursed, and he can make it alive. He made it alive by giving us his life-giving spirit, and he will make it alive again when he returns. And so I have just two questions I want to ask each of us here. And the first is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Not, not like just a cognitive belief of I understand and I can make the connections in my head. Do you believe that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the sin, regardless of the curse of sin, do you believe that the same God and the same spirit who gave life to the most dead situations can and is giving life to you right now in Christ Jesus our Lord? Do you believe that the fruit of the spirit is the power of the spirit? Do you believe that you are no longer a slave to your sin addiction or your sin that you've been wrestling with over and over and over again because the spirit gives life? Do you believe that? And the second isn't so much a question as it is a prayer. And it's just simply this. Spirit, open my eyes to see your life-giving work. The bones couldn't rattle enough by themselves to create bodies and, and, and make life. Our dead selves cannot do anything to give us life. It's only by the grace and the love of God. And so we need that grace, that love, that spirit of God to open our eyes so that we can see it ourselves.